you do not understand the power of the gun. You do not understand that when you pull that trigger and that bullet comes out of that gun, you can no longer control what it's about to do. Welcome to the Journey Podcast, where we explore the journey that is life. Before we dive into the rest of my conversation with Khadija, I would like to thank you all for your overwhelming support. It means the world. Believe it or not, it actually takes a really, really, really long time to put to put out an end product that I would be proud of. We live in a world that's already incredibly noisy, and the last thing I want to do is add to it, add to the noise. It's important for me personally that the conversations I have with the guests on this podcast are sincere, authentic, and have the potential to touch the lives of, well, you guys, my friends who are currently listening, right? Exploring the journey others take towards fulfilling their goals, dreams, and passions is meant to inspire the rest of us to chase our own. And if you don't have a passion of yours, of your own, well, my friend, you have an incredible journey of self-discovery ahead of you you should be excited it is actually exciting but let me also warn you as you listen to this podcast the last thing you want to do is to compare yourself to others everyone is a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will live its entire life believing it's stupid Albert Einstein. This is a quote many of you have heard many times. <laughs> but we all have our own unique ways in which we as individuals can contribute to this world in ways no one else can. So when you come across an accomplished individual like our guest Khadija, yes, be starstruck. I admire her. She deserves it. She's put in plenty of work and will continue to do so. But never, never let it have the opposite effect on you. Never let the success of others paralyze you into inaction. Make you feel unworthy, incapable of getting things done. If you are stuck currently in life, guess what? We've all been there. Everyone has been there. And outside of her accomplishments, I love how honest and raw Khadija has been in the previous episode and in this one. The journey of life is not supposed to be easy. It is not easy, right? But the meaning we give to the events of our life will make or break us, right? Now, enough of me and let's leap directly back into our conversation with Khadija. Her story will continue to not disappoint. Thank you so much for listening again. And here goes nothing. And it has the strength and the capacity to cause damage that's permanent, that cannot be undone. And it, it's, it's crazy really baffling. It's our, really baffling. Our community here has absolutely no idea mm-hmm. how bad the situation is, especially for our, our sons, young, our young Somali boys. boys. It, it's bad. Our young I men, mean, I had, should say. I had a patient. It's, it's almost like everyone's like, oh, you know, like Toronto's pretty bad. Oh, no. Because it's always in the news. But here, it has literally become... A norm. A norm. It's been normalized. And that's so what's scary about it. Just because it's not in the news... It does not mean does it's normal. It does not mean... <laughs> it's happening or it's not happening. It, and it's, it's wrong for us to normalize those kind of things. I mean, somebody's dying. And, you know, I... I recently lost my dad. And... Uh, I mean, and, you know, he, I mean, he, you know, he, he was an older gentleman and he, you know, he died of chronic illness like older people and, yeah, he, he um, lived a full life. Yeah. And, and he was amazing. And, but his neighbor is a 24 year old kid. Wow. And my dad was 80. Wow. So. I remember seeing you actually. To think about that. One day at the cemetery while yeah. I was there to visit my grandma. Yeah. And you were there. 
And she to died. think about that is insane. You know, and your grandma too. Like she died at a later age, like in her 70s and 80s. And, yeah. and that's normal, right? Like this person has heart failure or, you know, they're older and, and, they, and they, they pass. And that's the norm of life. But to be neighbors with an 80-year-old man when you're 24 because somebody shot you? I mean, for that's really concerning, you know? And for us to not really take action on it is... You know, it's actually really It's funny. baffling to me. These kids are actually incredibly brave. I... <laughs> Full disclosure, <laughs> currently my license is suspended. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I got stopped oh, by... Dear. Oh, Do not call most me of, if you get arrested. Most, I am not most, bailing you out. <laughs> most, most of my friends don't know this, but my license is currently suspended. That is why you're currently driving me around 24-7. <laughs> talking to you guys. Oh, Thank goodness. you so much. I, I owe you guys a lot, right? But I will not touch mm-hmm. a car. You know why? Because when the cops stopped me, and told me that my license is suspended because mm-hmm. this that was my fifth moving violation this year. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm done. I am not touching another car if my yeah. life depends on it. <laughs> what life I had to drive myself to the yeah. ER, I think I wouldn't do it. Because <laughs> that is, am I, uh, like, am I fu- Are you going to be one of those people that calls the ambulance because your nail hurts? You know, I don't know about <laughs> that, maybe. <laughs> those are my favorite patients, by the way. When they, oh, when they call the ambulance because no, they... It's like, oh, I call the ambulance because the I think I'm... The guts it takes. Like, yeah. I don't get it. Like the guts it takes mm-hmm. for these kids to yeah. go out there and, and deal drugs and, and, oh, yeah. and go out there and like gangbang and do this and do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. if you applied that to entrepreneurship, if you applied that to your career, and if you applied that to anything else... Don't get me wrong. It's I think drug I, dealers are the best, are the, some of the most talented people I, out so there. So I had... I, you can quote me. I had... I had a patient one time and I, I like saw his brother and his brother had died. Somali okay. way. Yeah. Okay. And then he, he went out to go get the guys that got his brother. And then he got shot and then he came back and then I had him. Oh my God. And it's, it's you know, I, I, went, I went and saw his mother and I was like, you're back. Like, what are you doing? You know? Um, and, I, and especially for the situation for our oh, mothers. Man, I remember talking with her and she was just so like, sad. I mean, she had become numb. Her face was so flat and like she had this flat affect to her. I mean, her face looked like know. she had Botox and she didn't. Like she had no emotion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thankfully her second son didn't die and alhamdulillah. But I remember talking to him himself. And th- this young man... I think is one of the smartest people I have ever met. Because I went the next day to just like go check up on him just because they were Somali and I knew them and I knew his mom and, and stuff. So I went back and to go check on him. And By the way, sorry, sorry to check you on the podcast. Yeah. It's Somali, not Somalian. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, sounds good. I'm, I'm open. I'm open to being checked. Please do. Um, but, you know, I... And I was, I was talking with him and I sat down and I introduced myself to him and, and we were talking and I just genuinely was like, tell me about your day, you know, like your normal day-to-day life and how this kid moves around the city and is able to hide from the cops, but is also able to hide from the people he's at war with. And by the way, I say war because these kids are actually at war with one another. Um, it... It, it was insane. I couldn't do that. You know, he's like, oh, but like that street light, like at 2 p.m. or like 2.01, those folks are there. So then I can't go there. So then I go. like how organized his ideology was and how he moves and how he I mean, I was baffled by him. So what what do you think? What do you think drives our young men to these Types of activities. What is it? Is it self-esteem? Is it a lack of help? Is it a lack of? Is it a fatherhood problem? Is it? Is it the fact that a lot of fathers aren't in their sons' lives? Is it? I think it's. Is it because truly, our mothers are too nice and they? That one is a big problem. They let way. us go for everything. <laughs> it's a big problem. 
the, my favorite quote of them is that and you're just like already like he's already bad <laughs> you sending him is not going to make him more bad or less he's already there so uh, I that quote and me just don't necessarily get along but um, I think it's you know I we are it's like a double standard we have a girls. culture where if you think about it Back in the day, right? Like yeah. when we were in Somalia and our parents and who raised our parents. The society we lived in then was a very, um, like the whole village raised the kid, right? Um, they were very interconnected. Um, it, was, it was not an individualized society. Um, we we kind of grieved together and we ate together and we fed our kids together. Because um, I remember, I mean, you know, when I was younger, if I was outside and my neighbor saw me doing something bad, he would hit me and tell me, you cannot do that again. And bring me to my father and say, I saw your daughter doing A, B, and C, and I hit her for it, and here she is. And my dad would, you know, he, wouldn't, you <laughs> he wouldn't tell the guy, what did you do? He would be like, thank you for doing that. And he would take it out on me. So... I think we've moved to a society where the American culture is very individualized. Yeah, it's definitely. a culture that's a more of an I than a we. Um, everybody's just worried about themselves. I have to do this for myself. I have to do this for myself. So we are. So it's 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 become really hard to to kind of assimilate in that culture. And but then our kids go to school, and our kids are friends with non. Somali people and our kids are assimilating in the culture but then when they come home you are not assimilating so now there's this huge gap between you and the kid and whether it's that you don't speak English or you don't understand English or even if you do speak it you're not in society now all of a sudden your kid thinks they're smarter than you because you don't know how the school system works so your kid is going to tell you oh mom I have practice when they don't have practice but because you don't know how the system works, now the kid thinks they're outsmarting you. And then we don't, we don't have this, you know, there's just this constant like miscommunication between the kids and, and their parents. Because in our culture, we, when you do something good, your parents don't throw you a party and a parade and say, my kid is this and this and this. You don't get acknowledged. You don't. Yeah. And... The reason being is that that is their expectation it's of you. Expected of you, yeah. I, I remember when um, my, no my father was yeah. still here. And uh, there was one night that all these guys came to visit him. And I, um, I was like massaging his feet or uh, checking his blood sugar or whatever. You know, I was attending to him. And one of the guys said to my father, he's like, you're a very lucky man. Your kids are all around you and they're like pampering you. And... You know, the response my dad gave is, well, what, they should, what, what else are they supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, he wasn't like, oh, I'm lucky. I'm, no, he was like, what else are they supposed to be doing? And he was right. Um, so then, you know, we, we don't have that thing of like, oh, my kid. And, you know, and then, um, but when the kid does something bad, we kind of go hammer on them. And like, oh my God, I cannot believe you did this and you're this and you're that. And then now all of a sudden the kid is like, wait, why Everything are you just talking about the one doesn't... bad thing I did and you can't acknowledge the good things I'm doing? Um, so then they form this identity of like... Of like, my parents hate me. Because the only thing they're recognized for is the bad. Is the bad. So now the kid is going to be like, you think I'm bad? Okay, I'm going to show you how bad I can get. And when they do get bad, the parents sort of are like unarmed, you know, they're all of a sudden scared of their own kid. And they're like, okay, if I give him everything, he's going to stop. Oh. When in essence, that is actually making it worse because now you're rewarding bad behavior. Exactly. And when you reward bad behavior, you're emphasizing that that behavior is and okay. You're, you're reinforcing it as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, 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 it's just this huge, I think, a crisis that we have where we don't understand. So why do you think the girls... I mean, they're not any... Kind of yeah. escape. Uh, I mean, for the most part. For the most part, I yeah. Know to a certain extent. I know yeah. there's, you know, mm -hmm. issues there too, but... 
Yeah. And I, I think it's because we, we come up from a culture where women are sort of protected um, and they're sheltered. And, and women are actually the leaders of our households. Yeah. yeah. And, but if you think about it, even back home, the man was the one who went out and got everything, right? I, as a woman, stayed home and took care of the kids. So if I'm in the house, as long as I'm in between my four walls, I'm safe. I don't see what's going on on the outside. I don't have much to influence me. Um, but for the man, I think when you go outside, it's impossible not to get influenced because you see this guy doing this and this guy doing that and this guy doing this. And especially kids in high school where it's like, high school is hard in and of itself because of now you're going through puberty and your voice is getting deep and now you're like, I need deodorant. And so, you know, it's like there's so many physical changes happening within you um, and you have this identity crisis in it of itself because you don't know if you're an adult and you're not and you don't know where you're at. And so I, I think we deserve or we should or these kids deserve for us to be like, okay, you know what? You have a lot going on. I'm going to be a support system for you. Um, one of my attendings, I, he wasn't my specific attending, but he's one of the medical directors at Hennepin. Um, he's an internist and he's Somali um, and his name is Dr. Madar. Um, and one thing he told me, he's like, you know, he goes, our culture is very concrete. We're black and white, you know. Um, and he said, if you think about the American system, they have this sort of sandwich ideology where if you think about it, your teacher, your boss, your friends, um, when they're about to criticize you, they don't right away go to, Abdurrahman, you did A, B, and C wrong. They'll usually start off with, you know, you're good at this and you're good at that and you're good at this, but you need help with this and you need help with that and you need help with this. But the way you can fix that is what you're good at, which is A, B, and C, you know? So the criticism is sort of in the middle and then the two sandwiches are your good qualities. Yeah. But we don't do that. <laughs> you know, we are just like, you did this, so that's bad. So you're bad. Um, so it, 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 becomes, it becomes hard. Um, and the other thing I think we are very judgmental. And I, and I really would like that to go away. Um, you know, Islana sees some kid. And for her to go up to that kid and instead of being like, hey, listen, I know your mom. You need to stop doing what you're doing. She'll call the kid's mom and be like, oh, my God, I saw your kid and he was doing this and this and this. It's like that mom is aware what her kid is doing. She's not oblivious to it. But you knowing about it has now tainted her image. And we are a very interconnected community. Like everybody knows everybody. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, so I'm, I'm always just like, you know what? We don't know people's walks of life. You don't know where they come from. If you see them doing something bad, address them then and there. If you don't feel comfortable addressing them, forget about it. I think, and one thing also, I really don't think these young boys truly understand. They will, they will swear up and down that they love their mothers. They, they will tell you that they'll oh, yeah. take a bullet for their mother, that they'll oh, yeah. die for their mother. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they truly grasp, truly how much pain and mm -hmm. suffering and agony they're bringing to their they're bringing well, and to their mothers. This is the thing. They, okay, the they issue, don't sleep. The issue comes in from this, where the mom now got called by some woman, right? And the woman told her, "Hey, I saw your kid, and he was doing A, B, and C, right? And now, when you come home, your mom is gonna be like." Heblaya called me and Mesha said, and you're awful. And now the kid is like, mom, are you going to listen to Heblaya or are you going to listen to me? You know what I mean? Um, so that's where the issue comes from. Then the kid is like, my mom doesn't understand me because she's listening to other people. Not understanding the fact that these are not other people. I guarantee you every Somali person you meet, they're somehow related. Like anytime I come home and my mom has some lady, she'll be like, this is your aunt. The first time I was like, mom, this is not your sister, you know? And then she's like, no, 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 no. She's your cousin's wife's husband's mom's <laughs> sister's dad. And you're just like, okay, we're family. So, you know, so we're, we're so interconnected. And, and that's such a beautiful quality about our culture. And I just wish that we used it for the right reason. You know, the fact that we're so interconnected 
really, if we stayed that way, the amount of help that we would offer to one another is remarkable. Okay, let's quickly transition. How much, how much does faith have to do with who you are today and where you're at in life? How much my of faith that? in myself or my faith in God? Your faith in God. My faith in God. Your spiritual life. My spiritual life. And um, how, do you, how do you stay in sync? How do yeah. you stay balanced, level-headed? Yeah. Um, the thing about God is that, I mean, he is truly perfection. Um, if there was one word that somebody asked me to describe Allah with, I would say he's the definition of perfection in all aspects. And the reason I say that is because I'm not, I'm not perfect and I'm far from perfect. And I've done some things in my life that I am not proud of at all. Um, and, but when I go to him, when I pray and I go to him, I can stand in front of him and tell him all the bad things I've done. And for whatever reason, I will not feel any judgment coming from him. If anything, I feel relieved that, oh, I have somebody I can unload my... And that's how it's supposed to be. My, you know, my hardships too. Um, the hardest thing that has happened to me was losing my father. Um, that was, that was a day. That, that was quite the day. Um, and because I'm in medicine, which is sort of a blessing and a curse in and of itself, is that I knew dad was going. Um, I knew, I knew he was going. And I, I remember like, you know, and my mom and, and my sisters and, and we were, we were all here the day he, he passed on. Um, we, you know, me and my brothers and my sisters, and we, there was only two of them that weren't here and those live out of state, but they came that day. Um, you know, one got in at like 10 a.m. and the other one came in at like 6 p.m. And, um, and, you know, I, I was not angry, <laughs> um, but I, it, you know, I, I, I wanted an answer from him. And I, and I remember praying Fajr the next morning and, uh, because dad passed on a Friday and his funeral was on a Saturday. And I remember praying Fajr that Saturday morning and he wasn't in the house, you know? And I was like, why? Like, why, why, you know, why did he have to go? Um, and then I just kind of caught myself and realized that, you know, there's beauty in that. There's beauty in the fact that people die. And the beauty is that for God to show us that at the end of the day, you are not in charge, period. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that you are not in charge um, and that God has planned this out and his plan for you will not be delayed by one second and it will not fast forward by one second. It will happen when it's supposed to happen. And that is something we all have in common. We will all die. We will all die. Despite the path we take. That is true. So that, you know, I think God granted me that day. And um, it, because I, I remember being around him and uh, we were all around him, right? My mom, my brothers and my sisters. And if Malakomot that day, had stopped even for one second and were to ask all 12 of us that were there that I'm going to leave this guy if all of you guys decide to die. We would have all said yes. Hands down. 
Um, but that's not, that wasn't there. Um, so that's, God is just very, he humbles me. Um, he also makes me understand that, yes, I'm in medicine, but there's a power bigger than me. And, and I think that was one thing that a lot of my family was worried about, that if I go into medicine, I think my faith in God is going to like divert or something, but it actually just became stronger. Um, because, so? so I had a, I had a patient once when I was in OB, my OB rotation. So um, for, for those of us who don't know what OB is, what is OB? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's obstetrics and gynecology. So it's the specialty in women. Um, and I did it at Abbott Northwestern Hospital. And Abbott is the babe, like mother and baby center of Minnesota. So all the high-risk pregnancies, all the like women that are not healthy and are pregnant, that's where they go. So I had a patient one time who was like status post-pancreatic transplant times two. Like she had a pancreatic transplant twice. This was her second one. And the one that she got this time around was given to her by a seven-year-old kid. Um, so his pancreas was extremely healthy and it was producing a lot of insulin because the body it was meant for <laughs> was, was a little person. Um, so she was constantly hypoglycemic, meaning, um, her blood sugars were constantly low. So she would pass out all the time. Um, and she was pregnant. And, uh, so she was brought to me one night and, um, I think she went to like an ER, by the U or something, and then, you know, her obstetrics team was in Abbott, so then she was transferred to Abbott. Um, and I remember doing, like, an ultrasound on the baby, and I couldn't find baby's heart rate. Um, obviously, I'm a student, so I didn't tell her that. I went back, <laughs> and I got my resident, and I said, I can't find the heart rate. So the resident came in, looked for the heart rate, and the resident couldn't find the heart rate. And then... You know, it was overnight. It was like at five in the morning. Um, so you don't ever want to call your attending at night unless things are really bad. Um, because if you wake up your attending in the middle of the night, there has to be a good reason why you woke them up. <laughs> and your attending is? <laughs> um, that's the person who's like ahead of you and the resident. Okay. Um, so they're usually not there at night. Um okay unless it's like emergency medicine, then they're there for their shift. But um, so the resident looked for the heart and the resident couldn't find the heart. And then we grabbed another resident and then the other resident couldn't find the heart rate. And then we're like, baby's dead. Um, so we called the attending, the attending came um, and her name was Dr. Anderson. And she came in and she couldn't find the heart rate either. So then I was like, okay, well, you know, we're, I'm not in trouble. So <laughs> we're all on the same path. Um, and then... We went to the OR um, to do a syrian section to get the baby out. And uh, I remember like telling the mom that, okay, your baby's dead and we have to go to the OR and take the baby out um, and telling her husband. And, you know, just the look on these two people's faces was, God, it, <laughs> you know, it, telling somebody that the baby inside of you is not coming out alive is... That's pretty heavy news. Traumatizing. Um, and we went to the OR and did the C-section and got baby out and baby was alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I was not expecting that ending. Yes. So that, you That's know, when really things... a good surprise. That's when really things like twist. that happen, <laughs> then you truly understand it does not matter where your medical uh, degree is from. At the end of the day, there is, is somebody crazy. that is facilitating everything above you. I was actually incredibly tense <laughs> listening yeah, to you talk. I was, <laughs> that was a very intense day for me too. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, we, I mean, the baby came out and we did CPR and then we revived the baby. So that only reaffirmed your faith. Yes. Cause then it was like, cause you know, I, in the ER, I, I call a lot of people and calling means like I call time of death, right? Um, I'm, I'm the last person who's going to do that. Um, and that's a very tough thing to do. Um, the, f the first time, you know, you do it, you're like, oh my goodness, I just, and sometimes in my head, that's always kind of an iffy thing for me. Cause you're like, when do you actually say, okay, I'm no longer going to try anymore. 
you know? Because in your head, you're like, no, but if I do one more compression and if I push one more epi or if I do one more centralized line, if, you know, like, when do you actually say the person is done? I cannot do anything else, you know? Yeah. Um, that's hard for me because in your head, you're like, no, but if I do one more compression, their heart will start again. And do you think a lot of doctors deal with, with the God complex? Yeah. Some don't believe in him. And they just and don't. Think they are. And that's just something they are. <laughs> and then some do. Um, and for me, I think that was it. it. It was awesome understanding that there is somebody above me. And I really could not do this field if I didn't believe in God. Because I could not live with myself if I was like, I could not save somebody. But the fact that I have God and I'm able to think, you know, God decided this then it, it gives yeah. me like some sort of closure that, okay, I tried my best and then God said otherwise. Yeah. No, I bring this up because a lot of us, me and you and everyone who's listening, we have goals mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I mean, for, for, for the ones that have goals, I mean, goals that we have absolutely no idea how we're going to accomplish them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the only thing that's going to get you over that hurdle mm-hmm. Over that cliff, mm-hmm. over that over that valley, mm-hmm. is faith. Oh yeah, that's oh, why yeah. it's incredibly mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah, and you know, it, to a certain extent, um, I, you know, even my patients I meet, um, it's pretty evident that I'm Muslim. I mean, my head is covered, and my name is Khadija, and my last name is Saeed, and it's it's fairly evident that I'm Muslim, and I'm pretty open about it. Um, so. They're like, well, you know, what kind of God do you believe in? And I think all the three Abrahamic religions, right? So Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Islam. I think the bottom line of all of them is treat others as you want to be treated. The golden rule. And that's it. Um, I think money and power came into play. And money and power is quite addictive. And... They don't have rules. Money and power don't have rules. They, there's not any stop for them. They, they trample anything. So I think that over time has you know, corrupted things and that. But the bottom line that will never change is that treat others as you want to be treated. And one thing I always tell everybody when they're like, oh, you're Muslim. Okay, tell me about Islam. I am very clear. I am very clear about I do not define Islam, but Islam defines me. Wow. You know, it's like... That's a really good way to put it. I can absolutely never define Islam through my life. Your mistakes are yours. Right. You know, and I don't want people to look at me and be like, she's Muslim. Okay, if she's doing this, then that's okay in Islam. And that's not the case. The only person who can truly define it is God himself. That is his religion. That is his work. The only way that you are going to get a clear understanding of it is if you read his book. So I, I'm, I'm very clear about that because I don't want people to get the wrong interpretation of like, okay, well then, if she's Muslim, then that's how Islam works. And it's like, no, 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 no. no. I, I'm human. I am a very faulted human. I, I, yeah, there's a lot of flaws in me. And yeah. so I don't want that to be confused with what Islam is truly about, you know? Okay. So impact, as you close up this podcast, mm-hmm. this episode today, the word impact is, is a very important word mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, when we, when we die, when we pass away, mm-hmm. we, want to be, we want to have left an impact. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we are a global community mm-hmm. as Somalis. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we talked about juggling a lot of identities. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we are Americans. We are Minnesotans. We do have a responsibility mm-hmm. to our community right, right. here in the right. Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Somali or non-Somali, mm-hmm. African-American or not non-African-American, mm-hmm. right? We have a responsibility right mm-hmm. here at home. We have a responsibility back, back home. home, another yeah. home, right? Yeah. Back in yeah. Somalia, mm-hmm. right? We have mm-hmm. another responsibility there where yeah. there's an entire population that's like, hey, you guys are the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. You guys are the lucky ones, right? Either Doesn't send- that always want to make you be like, well, can we define lucky? <laughs> 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 no, but I'm actually starting to realize that yeah. they really are. 
they really are lucky mm-hmm. because they don't have to deal with the, all these identity issues. Mm-hmm. They're they're on in the front lines, mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. shaping an entire country, and we're right here, the minority, right, mm-hmm. in a country of three hundred plus million people, right. Mm-hmm. So we have an impact. We ha- we have to make an we have to make our impact here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We have to leave our impact globally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Wherever Somali people are, right? Right, right. Across the across the world, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a we have to leave an impact in our homes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, to s- can you summarize all that pertaining to you and how you would want pe- people to put that? Like, how how did Khadija impact? Her family. How did Khadija impact mm-hmm. the world? How did Khadija impact Somalia? How did Khadija impact the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. Minnesota, where mm-hmm. she's from, where she lives, where she resides? Yeah. Um, I think my impact on my family um, is very minute, to be honest with you. Um, okay. I am, we're 12, and I'm number nine. Oh, wow. So when it comes to my family and, and, and again, that's the thing about my father and my mom is that we, we had a hierarchical system where it was like, okay, you respect your elders. Um, and so in our family, we're very respectful of one another and who's older and who's younger. And I think what we bring to the table for all of us is the same. Um, I, my best friend is my younger sister, um, Sophie. And, you know, just watching her grow every day, um, she has a huge impact on me because I learned so much from her. Um, very smart young woman and has such great composure and poise and eloquence and grace. And when she speaks, she sort of looks flawless. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of her. And, and I have, you know, my older sister, Shifa, who has children and watching her be a mom and how she interacts with her kids and Medina and her kids. And so it, 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 it's sort of a, um, when it comes to my family, I, I think my impact there is very minute. Um, I sort of am a team player with them. Um, when it comes to the Twin Cities as a society, um, I really do focus on my community. Um, I'm Somali, I'm very proud of it. Um, I love my Somali community. They are phenomenal. I, if I have a flat tire on the side of the road, I pray to God a Somali person sees me because they will for sure stop the car and help me. Um, but I, I want to create a room for them where they have open communication. Um, I'll share a, a story with you. I, when I was in, in the ER, um, I had a Somali patient one time, and uh, she was brought in by her parents. And she was brought in for nausea and vomiting, and she'd been vomiting for like five, six days, and her mom and dad were really concerned, and they brought her in. And so then when people like that come in, where it's, it's like nausea and vomiting, and you're not like dying, you know, um, I don't usually go to them until their blood work comes back. Because when I come in, I have to tell you something, you know? Um, so when she came in, the nurse came to me and said, oh, patient in room, you know, whatever, is nausea and vomiting. And I said, okay, I'm going to put odors in for CBC, CMP, and like a utox. Um, it's like urine analysis and blood work and stuff. So then it came back, and she was pregnant. Um, and I walked in the room, and I understand my culture. I, I know where I come from. If my parents are in the hospital with me, that means I'm not married. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I live with them. Yeah. Um, so when I came in the room, I saw her mom and dad and her, and I automatically knew she's not married. But I also knew that if I tell her parents what I'm about to say, they will kill this little girl. Yeah. Um, so thankfully, they were happy to see me because I look like them, Fam- right? A familiar face, yeah. So when I asked them to step outside, they didn't have a problem with it. And so that's my impact with them, is that I'm able to get through to each one of them because they trust me. On an individual level. Right. Yeah. And because they, they feel like I'm, I'm them and I'm going to have my best, like I'll have their best interest at heart. That I'm not going to screw them over, that I won't, you know, I, 
like I will really care. And the fact that they have that faith in me absolutely means so much to me. And that is my drive, is to give them that, is to give them the good that they see in me. Um, so they, they step outside and I sat down with her and I said, you know, I'm like, sweetie, I was like, what do you think is wrong with you before I, I get to your history or anything? And she said, I'm pregnant. And I said, okay, well, that's good. You know, <laughs> I'm glad you know. Um, I was like, that's what I was going to come in here to tell you. So then I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, if you know, why are you here? You know, it's like, if you're pregnant, you'll have morning sickness and you'll throw up and, and, and that's how the events go. And so I was like, why are you here? And she's like, oh, I'm not married. And I said, oh, okay. And then she said, I, I want to have an abortion. And I said, okay. Um, I said, we don't do that in a hospital in the state of Minnesota. Um, hospitals don't do that. Um, the only thing hospitals will do in the state of Minnesota is if you have like an incomplete miscarriage, then they'll, you know, finish it off or whatever. Um, but we won't do that in a hospital setting. There's clinics that do that in Minnesota. I think other states are different, um, but the laws we have in Minnesota is like that. Um, so then I told her, I said, okay, these are the clinics and uh, you can call them and, you know, make an appointment and do what you have to do. Um, and I said, I'm going to give you some Zofran and you can go home with it. And, you know, it's going to help you with the nausea and vomiting. And she said, okay, when you print out my paperwork, I don't want you to write that on there. So then I said, well, we have to give you, like, discharge papers, you know, just for legal reasons and hospital. Because it's like, if you decide to sue me tomorrow, I can be like, oh, I gave you discharge papers. Yeah. Um, so then she said, well, can you guys just email it to me? And I said, okay, yeah. So I, you know, got her parents to come back and they came back and they were like oh what is wrong with her and I said oh she just has vomiting and I'm gonna give her prescription to help with the vomiting and I'll give her like IV fluids while she's here and you know she's she's gonna get better and one thing I realized that day is that we cannot expect to live in a society and not understand what the society does you know um we, if we don't talk to our kids about, um, you know, being safe, and then they wouldn't be in positions like that, right? And the ironic part, though, of the story <laughs> was that I was wearing scrubs, and her father came up to me when they were leaving, and he said, Other one could I shouldn't be laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. You know, and, and I, 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 I really, truly... That comment did not offend me at all, actually, because I was like, wow, we have a very, very big problem. His comment actually scared me, and I think yeah. his comment pushes me to create more of an impact. And for those of you who didn't understand, he said, I'll yeah. pray for you, stop wearing pants. Pants, type yes, of thing. my scrubs, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, I think, pushes me to create more of an impact so that we can create these conversations on how to keep our kids safe. That mistakes happen, you know. Um, we're all human. Mistakes will happen. But our reaction to the mistake needs to be important. And I think the other thing with our community is that we're a very reactive community. We react after the fact. Um, but we have no preventative measures. We don't. And that's my goal. I want to create preventative measures by creating these conversations for people. Um, if we are able to have a discussion with our kids about guns, about, you know, being safe, about drugs, if we're able to have these conversations with them instead of walking around them like eggshells and just reacting after something bad has happened, there's not going to be one of us left. How about worldwide, globally? From a global standpoint... And back um, home as well. That's oh, back idea. home, which I'm planning on going, actually, hopefully, sometime soon, during residency. I'll, I'll see. <laughs> I always say that. I'm like, I'll go. And then I realize what my lifestyle is. And it's like, oh, dear God. Um, but uh, it means a lot to me. And I, um, it, what I've learned, I've learned for them. Um, because my mom is actually currently there. And 
I was speaking with her with you know, a couple of days ago, and she was telling me about a gal who, like, her arm swelled up, and then she ended up dying. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and, you know, as mom was giving me the event of her sim- symptoms, she had something called a DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis. She had a blood clot in her arm, and then there was not blood passing through. That's why her arm was getting swollen. And then the blood clot went up to her heart. And that is such a simple thing to fix here, but people are dying of right over there. Wow. You know? Like somebody comes to me and they have a blood clot in their heart, which is a heart attack. And we take them to the cath lab and we take it out. So when there's a blood clot in your arm or your leg, we give you a heparin drip and you're good to go. You know, so I, I think that's what I want to provide for them is that because I went to school and I learned medicine in a first world country, I'm going to be able to provide that care for them. And for those of us who are not lucky enough to, be, to become doctors or to pursue this <laughs> yeah. career path, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How, can we, how can we help? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because I... One, if I learned anything from my dad, is that individually, we all have responsibilities to the community. Okay. And we all need to be held accountable. Okay. Um, I think me as a doctor and somebody who's a plumber, we are on the same level field. We have the same respect. We, have, we each do a line of work that is very important. And I really want to emphasize that. It does not matter what path you choose. You have a responsibility to all of us, and you can do something. And you have a responsibility to approach it with excellence. Right, and integrity. And perfect it. And be truly all the way in it and be compassionate about it and be empathetic yep. of everybody else. Because if you think about it, yes, I'm a physician, but if I come home and my toilet is clogged, if I cannot access a plumber, I have nowhere to use a bathroom at. And that brings a whole host of other issues. <laughs> right. Like, now we have a problem. <laughs> you know, so it's like we all specialize in something different. And we are all, I think, responsible. And we need to be held responsible and accountable for what we do. Um, we are, you know, and our country has been in raffles for 20 plus years, almost 30 years now. Like, the kids who were born when the war started are almost 30 and they're having other kids, and they don't even know what the world was like when it was peaceful. How are, they, how are their kids going to know that yeah. there's a world that's peaceful that belongs to them? So it is very vital, and it's very important for those of us who are here and have the opportunity to be educated and have the opportunity to excel for us to go back and create a world that is better, not for us, but for our kids and our grandkids and the kids that come after us and people that come 100 years after we're gone. Wow. You know, it, it's really important because this whole <clears throat> tribal thing and this and that, and that, that's really, to me, I really don't see that. And I don't think that's a problem. The end goal here is to create a world that we can all call back home. And, and it, it's unfortunate that we don't. And... At the end of the day, I think we, sometimes there's fear, right? Like, oh, if somebody does the same work as me, then they're going to be better than me or they're going to, and it's like, you know, (laughs) if I say I want to be the only doctor, guarantee you I will not get anything done. But if I have somebody else who has the same skill set as me, now there's two of us doing it and that's better than one. And, And that's important. So when you have somebody who has the same skill set as you, that's a positive thing to have. You have more armor on your side. So we don't need to create diversion or this or that. And it's like we truly need to build a world that's better for us because we truly have a very beautiful country. If we built that country, the amount of money that would come from tourism, the amount of money that would come from everything we have to offer and with a beautiful culture... We could be one of the top countries in the world. So we have to let go of he's not my tribe or he's not my people or he's not this or he's not that. 
At the end of the day, he's Muslim and he's your brother. If you are willing to stop in the middle of the snow for some girl that you've never met and help me change my tire, sweetheart, you should be able to go back to your country and help everybody else because oh. that person is inside of you. I think that I think this would be a perfect time to ask my final question. Yes. How do you like your coffee? Um, and are you a caribou or a Starbucks person? I am caribou all the way. Oh I God. am team <laughs> caribou. I live across the street from caribou. <laughs> I have their app on my phone. I'm a Perks member. <laughs> caribou. I buy their Amy Cohen once on October for breast cancer. Okay, okay. And what's your I'm order? I'm deep in caribou. And what's your order <laughs> once you get there? I get um, caramel macchiato. Okay. Yeah. Not a bad choice. They call caramel it caramel macchiato. high rise. I always okay. get it hot too. And it's wonderful. So, All right. Perfect. And guys, if there's anything I want you guys to take away from Khadija's story, it's that it's not perfect. I think, nope. I think that would be... Yeah. Nothing is perfect and nothing is impossible. And that as long as you have a dream and as long as you have goals it's and as doable. long as you are consistent and you keep clawing away at it, because I bet there, there were moments where you... Oh, like, yeah. like you said, you didn't want to move forward, but you, oh, did, yeah. it, you did it anyways. Yep. And as long as yeah. you have the right influences in your life, for Khadija was her dad, mm-hmm. for us, it could be anyone, right? Mm-hmm. As long as we have the right influences and we have the right mindset, we can honestly achieve anything. Yeah. So I need the next Barack from our community, people. <laughs> That's what I... I wasn't born here, so I can't run for president. I need you guys to do this. <laughs> he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. All right, thank, thank you guys. This so is the end. Yep. So who is going to be the next Barack? <laughs> Khadija will definitely be back. And if you want to reach out to her, send me a personal message via Instagram at aqil, C-A-A-Q-I-L underscore. Or you can email me if you're more, more professional at journeywithaqil. That's journeywithaqil at gmail.com. Also, Apple has finally approved the podcast. You can find it under the episode section when you look up the Journey podcast on, on your podcast app. Or, or you can just type in aqil salat and it will be right there under shows. Why? I don't know yet, but I'll figure it out. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you guys next week. Peace out.